you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. It's often said that it is a woman's prerogative to change her mind. It is a pastor's prerogative to change his topical text on Friday. Uh, the same subject we'll be looking at today, the subject of pride. But as I looked at this, I thought that maybe we could tie this issue together a little bit closer to the text by looking at this text. We'll draw on the concepts of 1 Corinthians uh, 4 and Proverbs 16. But I want to take us actually through 2 Corinthians 12. Please join me as we pray for the blessing of God's Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would attend your Word with power. That my words would not be my own or after my own heart, but yours. We pray that you would open our ears and enlighten our minds. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning at verse 1, going through verse 10. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body... I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thus far the reading of God's word. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and sufficient word. Well, now as we come to the conclusion of our series here about sins, I trust that there have been more than one occasion where you felt perhaps that your toes have been stepped upon, that you have been convicted of uh, a sin that you see in your own life. I trust that that is the case because I know that's been the case for me in my study and then also here in the pulpit, that as we have sought to go through sins that beset the church, sins that are not the obvious sins of the world, but rather ones that we need to root out 
in our own lives. And this morning I would like to look at the last of these, and that is the sin of pride. You see, the church oftentimes is searching for power. There, this is not that dissimilar to what happens in the world. We have power lunches, power cars, power ties. We have power in our lives. And the church wants more powerful marriages, more powerful evangelism, more powerful churches, more powerful programs. We, we were even speaking, a few of us yesterday, of an evangelistic ministry that sought to connect the gospel with ripping phone books in half as the power team presented the gospel. What our passage this morning shows us is that if we seek our own power, if we have pride in ourselves, in our church, in our people to accomplish the work of the gospel, we are looking in the wrong place. There is only one place that true power is found, and that is in knowing that we are weak and we must be humble. And so what I'd like us to see here this morning is first how Paul describes the danger in pride, the danger that is in pride. And then after we look at the danger that is in pride, we will see how God shows the deliverance that is found in mercy. Deliverance in mercy. The danger in pride, the deliverance in mercy. And that leads us to a place where we can truly delight in humility. So we have an occasion here where we have alliteration to help you to remember. Danger, deliverance, and delight. Let's look first then at the danger in pride. I want to focus this morning on verses 7 through 10 of the passage we read. The first thing that I want us to see that shows that pride is a dangerous thing is that pride deceives. Pride is deceptive. And so if we start by thinking about what is pride, I think we think about it in two main ways. First, it is an independent spirit that manifests itself, secondly, in saying that we are not contingent. An independent spirit that shows that we're not contingent. Now, what do I mean by that, kids? What I mean is, it's the type of thing where we say, where you say to your parents, I don't need any help with that. I can do it all myself. You know, you can pour the big milk jug all by yourself. You can work on the computer all by yourself. You don't need any help at all. No, thank you. The thing that happens, though, is that's not just about milk jugs. It's not just about homework or computers. You see, moms and dads do that all the time as well. Pastors and elders do it as well. We say, we don't need any help. We can do that all ourselves. We're not contingent. We're not dependent on anyone else. That's the idea of pride that I want you to have in your mind. You see, because if we think of pride only as walking around like a stuffed shirt with our chest belt out saying, I'm so great, I'm so great, then we easily say, doesn't affect me, I don't do that. But if we think about pride as having a spirit of being independent, of not being dependent upon anyone else, 
then it hits a bit closer to home. Because you see, actually, the word for pride is lifting oneself up. We might use an American euphemism of pulling oneself up by one's bootstraps. Yes, Texans. That is pride. That pride affects all of us. It affects, perhaps, first and foremost and primarily, unbelievers. If you have not come to a place in your life where you have confessed that you are without hope and you are casting everything upon another, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to keep yourself independent, if you want to be the American way, then you have an issue with pride to deal with. You see, the only way one can be a Christian, the only way one can have hope, is by casting yourself on another, on the Lord Jesus Christ. We may also think that pride is something that comes to new believers. We spoke about that last week when we talked about the cage stage. When as we start to soak in all of these new truths, we think we know everything about everything. And that's true to some extent. But I want to put it to you that this feeling of pride and self-independence comes to those who are mature or who think they're mature. It can come to someone so mature as the Apostle Paul. Because you see what Paul says here in verse 7? So to keep me from being too conceited, too elated, too proud by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. You see, Paul had seen and he knew that God had acted in his life. He didn't need to guess. He had seen and he had performed miracles. He knew that God had saved him from failure. That God had preserved him. So we might think that Paul is the least likely person to be proud. He knows his own weaknesses. He's escaped from several towns just barely with his life. And yet not once, but twice in this verse, he says, to keep me from being conceited, I was given this thorn in the flesh. You see, Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, Paul, the church planter, Paul, the writer of so much of the New Testament, he fell prey to pride. Because pride is deceptive. Paul knows this. In 1 Corinthians 10, he reminds us, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You see, this is what Satan is looking for in your life. He's looking for opportunities where you think you are safe, where he can puff you up with pride. You may say, in a self-deprecating fashion, well, I'm not very good at relationships, but I know my Bible. Or you may say, well, you know, I haven't had too much time to study the Bible, but I get along with people really well. You can be certain where Satan is going to attempt to puff you up. You see, you need to know your Bible well. You need to have relationships with others. But it's when we have a pride in that, that Satan seeks to take something that is good and is necessary and use it to our own detriment. See, Paul knew this. It didn't stop Paul from ministering. It didn't stop Paul from knowing. It didn't stop Paul from working. But he had to be aware of the pride. Because, you see, pride comes unexpected. Pride comes from unexpected places. You may think that pride came to Paul because of some besetting sin that was 
all over him that he couldn't get rid of. Or perhaps it was an area of Paul's life that he just didn't have under control. He wasn't mortifying a certain sin. And you think, well, if we just work harder at mortifying sin, then we can keep away from pride. There's only one problem with that. Paul says that the pride that came to him didn't come because of sin. It came because of blessing. You see that? Look at verse 7. To keep him from being too conceited by what? The surpassing greatness of the revelations that God had given to him. That's a blessing of God. Should God not have given Paul revelations? If I can speak in my sanctified imagination, God forbid. I love the book of Romans. I love the book of 1 Timothy. I am so thankful that Paul was given revelation. But you see, it was that great blessing that caused Paul to have the temptation to be puffed up with pride. The language here is clearly causal. It is because of the revelations in Paul's life that he was tempted with pride. Now, is that any different from our own lives, if we're honest with ourselves? Areas in which we have success can be areas in which we can tend to think that we are most competent and that we have it most together. If, for example, through God's grace and hard work and study of the Scriptures, we've raised a godly family where the children are obedient and where there's love in the household, we can tend to think we've got it all together. We're not like, and you could point anywhere in this town or anywhere others, like that mess out there. We've got it all together. And you see, something that God has intended for good and should be happening becomes a source, potentially, of pride. We can see it in church, too, can't we? If we had a vibrant ministry, if we had depth of teaching, if we had a unified body. You see, all of these things are good, and we are glad that God has blessed us with them. The problem comes when we start to think the reason we're so unified is because we're pretty good people. We've got it all together. The reason our teaching is so great is we're all so sharp. And we discount the work of the Holy Spirit, both in our relationships and in our teaching and learning. You see, we can take these blessings and turn them into occasions for pride. It comes from an unexpected source. The third danger in pride is that pride puffs up. You see, Paul failed initially to see the mercy of God in this thorn in the flesh. It was sent as a mercy to keep him from being conceited, elated, puffed up. Depends on what your translation is. It's all the same idea. It was to keep Paul from getting a humongous head. But you see, Paul didn't see that. Because this blessing from God to keep him from being puffed up, he prayed not once, not twice, but three times. He said, would you please, Lord, get rid of this thorn in the flesh. I can't take it anymore. Can't you see, oh Lord, you're harming my ministry. Have you ever felt like that? Perhaps when you've been challenged at work. Perhaps when you've had a financial challenge. Perhaps when you have a particularly difficult child. Perhaps when your brother or sister just gets under your skin. Maybe the Lord is using trying circumstances to keep you from being puffed up 
with pride. It doesn't mean we have to enjoy it. We know that Paul didn't enjoy the thorn in the flesh. But the point is to see that pride puffs up and that the Lord uses ways to bring us back down to earth. You see, one of the hardest things in the Christian life is to see our circumstances and our relationships from God's perspective. To have this mind of Christ rather than our own perspective on life. And this is especially difficult when we face difficulties and suffering. It's hard to get the eternal perspective on that. Now, don't get me wrong, we are not meant to be Stoics. We're not meant to be people who try to be as unfeeling as possible in the face of adversity. Real, real Christians weep. Real Christians have pain. Real Christians need to go to each other for help. But you see, if we try and have the mind of Christ and see what God is doing through these circumstances, it is a way to make these circumstances more bearable and to avoid the danger of pride. Well, Paul saw this danger three times, asking the Lord that it should leave him. Paul also saw the deliverance that God brought by mercy. Deliverance in mercy. Paul tells us the response that God gave to him in pleading that the thorn of flesh would leave him. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, God showed Paul, first and foremost, the reality of weakness in his own life. God knows our frame, the psalmist says. He knows we are but dust. He knows that we are susceptible to pride and to being puffed up. And he knows that this pride can cause us to disobey God or to denigrate his commandments. And so God in his mercy and grace shows us through Paul here that we are weak, not strong. He doesn't want us to be like Uzziah, who was puffed up by pride and it caused him to disobey the Lord. In Second Chronicles 26, verse 16, we read this. But when he, that is Uzziah, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, excuse me, was strong, when he was strong, he grew proud. And he did that to his destruction. Because it led to him being unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered into the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense. Do you see the chain there? Uzziah was strong. And it caused him to be proud. And it caused a downfall because he thought, I don't need a priest to do sacrifices, so what if that's in the Bible? I can do this. I'm a good king. I'm a strong king. I'm a godly king. Hand me that incense. Have you ever felt like that? Oh, I don't need my wife to help me with that. I can take care of that. Oh, I don't need to ask my husband's advice and what his counsel would be. I can just take care of that. You see, pride can lead to disobeying the commands of God. It can also lead to denigrating God's means of grace. We're going to look, Lord willing, in a few months at the story of Naaman the Syrian. Naaman comes with leprosy, and he wants to be healed. And the prophet of God, Elisha, says to him, 
Well, what you need to do is go wash seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman looks at him and he says, wait a minute. Uh, do you know who I am? I'm the commander of all the armies of Syria. I'm pretty important. Now, you're supposed to be a prophet of God. Shouldn't there be some kind of whiz-bang here? Shouldn't there be some kind of big thing that's worthy of me? What do you mean just go and go wash in a river? You see, he denigrated the means of grace that God had given to him. You may think that as well. You may be tempted as I am to say, you know what, we have all these difficulties and there's things going on. We've got to get easements. We've got to get buildings up. There's people that need to be served. You know, don't have time to pray. Come on. My kids could pray. I'm important here. I'm the pastor. I'm an elder. I'm leaving my home. I don't have time to sit down and read my Bible. You see, we can be tempted to think that our ways are better ways. But God knows our weakness. He knows that pride is the enemy of faith. Because pride at heart is an unwillingness to rest upon God, His means, and His solutions. Secondly, Paul shows us in, his in the deliverance that God gives to us by His mercy, not only the reality of weakness, but also the reality of God's strength. It's not just that we are weak, but that is God is strong. You see, there is a purpose to this thorn in the flesh. It's given that Paul can be saved from himself, from something much worse than this thorn, from destructive pride, as we see in the book of Proverbs, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. You see, God said to Paul, I have plans for you, Paul. I have a love for you, Paul. I want to protect you, Paul. And so I'm going to give you this thorn, not only to show that you are weak, but so that you can see that I am strong. You see, God in His grace keeps us humble. But He does something else here for Paul, and He's doing it for you right now. That is, He not only keeps us humble, He reveals to us the strength that is found in humility. Do you see that? Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power, that is God's power, is made perfect in weakness. Now, it might have been sufficient for God simply to break Paul's pride, to prevent him from being lifted up. It might have been sufficient for God to look and say that Paul was getting a bit uppity and to slap him down, like often we do with our children or with co-workers. But you see, God is far more gracious. He not only deflates Paul's pride, in the midst of that, he shows the power that God has given to him in the midst of this humility. He condescends to reveal himself and his merciful purposes to Paul. He explains why he's doing it. So that Paul will be helped and blessed. And this really is the turning point of the passage. This is the most merciful thing that God could do, not only to correct the sin that might rear its head in Paul's life, but to show the reason why and to show the goodness that flows out of it. 
You see, the most merciful thing that God can do to the Christian is to show the big picture, even for a moment. Have you ever had that experience? Where the veil seems to have been lifted? Maybe it's five years after something happened in your life and you didn't understand why God was doing it. And you said, oh, now I understand. Now I see. God was preparing me in this way for that. When God does that for you, doesn't your heart just flow with love and trust for God? You see, that's what Paul's doing here. He's describing for us how God has protected him from himself and his own self-importance. And he's shown the big picture to him. We've seen this in our earthly lives, haven't we? When you were a child and your parents told you to do this or to go to bed at a certain time or to eat certain foods or to do that and you didn't understand why. And perhaps the reason that was given was because I say so. Which, by the way, is a legitimate parental reason. Because what happens is, years later, it comes to the point where we realize, oh, Dad really did know what he was saying when he told me I ought to save for that car. Oh, yeah, Mom really did know what she was doing when she told me to eat right, to stay healthy. You see, we get that big piece of the picture, and it's a blessing to us. It works the same way in spiritual things. Well, we've seen the danger that is in pride. We've seen the deliverance that God provides by His merciful work. And that leads us to a delight in humility. But the rest of verse 9 and of verse 10, where Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you see what's happened to Paul? He's gone from being this prideful man who has said, Lord, would you please get your act together? You are cramping my style. I have work to do. I have ministry to do. Would you please take this thorn in the flesh away from me? To a point now where he says, Oh, thank you, Lord, for that thorn in the flesh. Thank you. He sees that the humility that God brings, brings joy. Humility brings joy. You see, Paul's first reaction here to his understanding that he must rely on Jesus Christ is joy. You see, he is not only going to boast, is he? He is going to boast gladly. And he's not just going to boast gladly, he's going to boast all the more gladly. He's going to shout it from the rooftops. Jesus, my King, loves me and keeps me humble. You hear the joy in Paul's words in the midst of his pain. Now, notice what has happened here. Look at verse 7. What happened to Paul? He was given what? A thorn in the flesh. Right? A block in the road. A cog in the wheel. A problem to be overcome. Now that he is humble, what, how does he describe this? 
Now it's my weakness. Belongs to me. God's given it to me. This is mine. I possess it. Look, everybody, look. This is my weakness. Isn't it marvelous? Isn't it great? You see how Paul's whole attitude has changed in but a few verses in this description? It's now his weakness. And now he is content. We might even say he rejoices in weakness. Humility brings joy. Now you may be sitting and scratching your head and saying, how is that? Humility doesn't tend to bring me joy. Trying circumstances don't tend to bring me joy. What am I missing? Paul tells us a second thing as well that helps us to delight in humility. He says humility also brings perspective. You see, Paul's joy is not a foolish joy. We all know characters in a book or perhaps people that we've met who are joyful because they are foolish. They're driving off a cliff and they're joyful because they're pretending there's no cliff there. Right? They're making foolish decisions that we know are going to ruin their life and they're joyful because they've got their hands over their ears saying, I can't hear you, na, 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 na. That's not Paul here. Paul's joy is brought about by a different perspective, a new perspective. You see, he does not rejoice in this affliction just simply for the affliction's sake. That's vain philosophy. There are those who rejoice in affliction simply because they have it. No. Paul rejoices because he knows the purpose of this weakness he has, the purpose of this humility, is so that Christ's power can shine forth. So that the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ can show his power in the weakness of Paul. So that others look at Paul and say, he's nothing to look at, he's no big deal. But wow, what is God doing through him? We might say in our common parlance, that has got to be a God thing. Because Paul's certainly not capable of that. You see, that's what God wants. He wants His power, the power of Jesus Christ, to rest upon us that others may see it. You see, this is a challenge here even in the midst of difficulties. Because pride manifests itself not only in saying how much we know and how much we can do. Pride manifests itself in false humility. I have a friend who has a kind of a quaint saying when he wants to be self-deprecating. He wants to say, you know, I'm oh so proud of my humility. You see, if we have an infirmity, but that infirmity exists, that weakness exists only to draw attention to us. We're happy to point out our weaknesses so that everyone comes up and puts an arm around us and says, oh, you poor dear. You're good enough and you're smart enough and people like you. How can I help you? You see, if we're just trying to draw attention to ourselves through weaknesses, that's not what God wants. That's a real challenge, isn't it? You see, what God wants here is for our weaknesses to bring about a view of Jesus Christ. And how powerful he is. Because you see, the third thing that humility brings is not only joy, it's not only perspective, but humility brings true power. 
You see, humility, by taking the focus off of ourselves, by mortifying pride, by putting it to death, it allows us to see where the real power lies. And that is in God. It allows us to see the King of the universe, the Lord of His people, the Sovereign One, the One who holds everything in the palm of His hand. That's where real power is found. That's where power is found for your marriage, for your family, for your job, for your church, for every part of your life. Real power is found in knowing that we are weak, but God is strong. You see, God's power is His own. It is His own power for His own purposes. It's not something that we get to use or borrow or manipulate so that we look good. God's power is His own. It is for Christ's sake that that power is manifested. Well, perhaps you have had an experience like Paul. Perhaps you have seen the danger of pride and you have wanted to be delivered from it by God's mercy. It may be that you are here this morning and these words are unusual to you because you never thought about the fact that you didn't have it all together. Or if you thought about that, you said, well, that's something I need to get rid of. I need to get rid of the weak and make myself stronger. Perhaps you right now this morning are deceived as to how strong you are. You think you can make it without Jesus. That you don't need a crutch. That you don't need a Bible crutch to get you through the day. That you are strong enough. Well, you know what? Paul thought that once. Paul was pretty powerful. He had political contacts. He had the best education you could get. He had a great family pedigree. He had Roman citizenship. And yet, nothing that he had could stand up to God. Before God, he was laid completely bare. And later on in his life, he even said that all of those things were rubbish. He counted them as garbage. You know, that icky, wet garbage at the bottom of the can after it rains and the garbage bag breaks. It's worthless. You don't even want to go near it. Everything that he had that was good was nothing compared to the power in Jesus Christ. Will you find that out today, just like Paul did on the road to Damascus? That in all your strength you cannot stand up to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is Lord and King. You know, the Bible tells us that all who wait upon the Lord will see their true weakness. Are you going to be one that finds strength in the Lord Jesus Christ? Those of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ, that have come to Him by faith and believe and trust in Him, Christian, we must be very careful when we receive things from the hand of God. Whether they're good things or whether they're bad things. When we receive things from God, it should not cause us to look at ourselves, but rather to look at the giver. 
It should not cause us to look at what power we have or what power we think we don't have, but rather to look to the one who is powerful, to humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ. If we do that, if we mortify that sin of pride in our lives, we will rely upon the Lord Jesus and we will find great joy in that. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have revealed not only to Paul, but to us through your word that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, we ask this morning that in that vein that you would make us an incredibly weak church. That you would make us a church that cannot make it through one day without leaning upon the sovereign Lord. That you would make us a people that know that we have no ability apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We ask this, Lord, for your glory, that your name may be spread. And for the sake and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.